Sword of Omens, come to my hand. I, Lionel, command it. I also command that you keep listening to Adrian Has Issues. Hey everybody, you're listening to Adrian Has Issues, the conversational podcast celebrating the culture of creativity. Today I am speaking with comic book writer, stand-up comedian. If you listen to the show at any great length, you've heard him on before. Let's see, you're on episode 160 actually, um, last summer with uh, Adam Ferris talking about Tales from the Pandemic. Uh, let's see, episode 138, The Road to WrestleMania. Sorry, apparently there's a helicopter right above our... They're coming to get you. They heard me slandering police officers earlier. <laughs> it's like, oh no, now they're coming to get you. Watch out. This is like the scene from Goodfellas. You guys see change cars in the garages <laughs> six or seven times. Just to, keep, <laughs> just to keep this podcast running. All right, they're literally hovering right above our block. Like, what the hell? <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're coming to get you. I really ran that over. So let's see. Uh, episode 138, The Road to WrestleMania. One of my favorites, and this is one I will always go back to, was episode 103, uh, which we titled Straight to Hell, which uh, you and Fabian Lillet, we were chatting at Eastside Mags in Montclair, New Jersey. I-, I think that might be one of my favorite podcasts because that's when I learned sometimes going completely off the rails is actually the best thing to happen in, in a production. <laughs> but it's always been a pleasure to chat with you. Glad to be of service with your derailments. Well, actually, let me mention even some of the books you've worked on. Uh, let's see, there's Broke Pop, Cosmic Love, Ashes, The Good Fight, 27, Corktown, Cat of Good. And I think the last time we were talking, something I always bring up was we were trying to like assign comic book creators to like Marvel characters. And if I'm not mistaken, you had picked Loki, right? Oh, yes. Yes, that's right. And Loki, because I'm always just causing trouble and messing things up on purpose for fun. <laughs> but lately you have been teasing a book, which is actually going to be launched on Kickstarter on mm-hmm. uh, June 7th, correct? Uh, entitled The Fog Line, which I was going to tell you the listeners the premise, but I want you to pitch it because just reading it was like, holy crap, I, I really like this. So uh, real quick, though, if you just want to kind of give them that elevator pitch that you've been uh, posting online. So Fogline is a uh, it's a departure from what people who sort of know me have come to you know expect from my writing. But people who've read more long-term stuff like Epilogue, they will see that this, this fits right in there. It's a dramatic story. It's about a man who is he's a retired truck driver, and for the past 40 years, he's been haunted by uh, a fatality that he, uh, of course, covered up and buried in the woods. And uh, in the present day, this comes back to haunt him in the form of a true crime podcast that's investigating the disappearance of his victim. That's Um, wild. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So, of course, the obvious question is, you know, I I know that you've been really working on subverting your own expectations, you know, putting new things Mm -hmm. out there. And I know that you've worked on dramatic stuff in the past, though, but like... I would almost argue that this seems to be like your most dramatic piece yet. So what was really like the inspiration of this particular story? 
I know exactly the moment that the story idea hit was Thanksgiving 2020. We were with my in-laws. It's just six of us. So if anyone who's COVID checking, don't get mad at me. <laughs> they're, they're in our bubble. Uh, seven. I forgot about the baby. You know? But uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> that might be too many. I might have the cops helicopter coming here now. But uh, yeah, so it, we were sitting around a table and it started eating. And then that, this idea just popped in my head. I think leading up to all that, I've just been wa- watching a lot more, not quite serious stuff, but I've been studying more of, you know, the Coen Brothers' work uh, and also, you know, the Fargo TV series, uh, getting back into Mayans, which is a fabulous show on FX, you know, just more heavy things. I'm not one of those creators who sees six of my friends doing a pirate story and I have to feel like I have to do a pirate story. If anything, I try to find the opposite of that. So, you know, I will go out of my way to try to, you know, find something that's not quite there. And I felt that a negative murder mystery, and I mean negative in that we know who did it, but you know, the rest of the world is just finding out about this person. Which is a really cool angle. I like that a lot. No spoilers. <laughs> no, no, no. It's one of those ideas that hit me right away. Uh, I started taking notes on my phone at the table. I kind of got dirty looks because it's Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know, you get the family together. And of course I'm off in my own world doing my thing. I wrote it. I think it probably took me about a week to write the whole thing. It's a short comic. And I sent it off to my friend Andy as just like, you know, like a pilot reader. Right. And then, you know, he came back talking about, how, you know, how much he liked it. And then I was like, oh, well, would, would you be interested in drawing it? I didn't have anyone in mind, but I just figured if he liked it and he's an artist, why not ask him? And then he said uh, something along the lines of he hoped that I would ask him to do that. It's such <laughs> a cool story. I was like, awesome. Yeah, so, you know, we've been plugging away at it. Uh, I brought on an editor, Hernan. You know, he helped us take it to the next level and pointing out holes and or things I could elaborate on. He really liked the story, but there were some elements that, you know, needed tweaks to make it better. And then even then, once we finished that pass of the script, uh, Andy and I read it, and he added an extra part that changed the ending completely. Nice. So I decided to give Andy a co-writer credit on this because without you know, his involvement in that level, it wouldn't be the story that it is right now. So yeah, it's a long answer to how did I come up with the story? But the short answer is, I don't know. It just came to me. (laughs) (laughs) I had said this to a friend of mine. I don't remember who it was because gosh, it's like, you know, you have so many conversations. I wanted to start like, I I guess like dream pitch was starting a podcast, talking to musicians about like, songs that ended up becoming like these big hits or whatever and you know and i know that's not an original idea but i just wanted to see what was the over under and how many times like i talked to somebody be like this song is a masterpiece you know multi-grammy award winning you know sold millions of copies was in like number one billboards for like months how'd you come up with it and then they just be like i have no fucking idea like it just came to me while i was using the bathroom one day and then just cut the credits (laughs) like Cause I like that. Sometimes there's no, sh- there's no like, you know, massive answer. Sometimes it's just like, it just came to me. And I love those ideas. Cause I've realized sometimes those are the best ones. Yeah. I mean, when you're in the creative fog and you're just, you know, trying to actually think of something, sometimes it's a, it's a nugget that you, you know, put in the dirt and water and watch it grow and give sunlight. And other times it's like, Oh shit. I never noticed this tree in the forest before. I've spent literally years talking to creators of all different mediums about the creative process and what inspires them. So, 
And it's such a like loaded question because like I said, it could be a conversation. It could, like you said, it could literally be you're hiking and you see a tree and somehow mm-hmm. you come up, you know, 160 page OGNs. Like, you know, there's sometimes there is no reason why creators create. It just comes to you almost out of nowhere. Yeah. When I wrote Epilogue, which is a love story about two exes, but it's told from both perspectives. It's because I was driving to a comedy gig and I was listening to radio and um, someone you used to know by Gautier came on uh, right after that one Adele song that was really popular. And they're both talking about the same thing. And I was driving and I was like, man, these two feel like two halves of the same story. Mm -hmm. And by the time I parked in Hoboken, I had I had the story completely mapped out of my head. (laughs) And you never know when it's going to pop up like that. I had that happen once. This never made the light of day necessarily, but. I was, oh God, like a sophomore in high school. I had gotten a copy of Mallrats, kind of like an early birthday gift. Um, and essentially one day is in my room and had like two liter bottles of cherry Coke. And I'm just sitting here with like an open laptop. And within the course of several hours, both of those bottles were empty. That movie was looped at least two, three times. And then I ended up with like that first draft of a screenplay. And I'm like, where the oh, hell did that come nice. from? <laughs> Yeah, I love that. I mean, seriously, when it when it strikes, it strikes, right? You almost kind of black out, or is that just me, or am I just kind of confessing the fact that I might have a medical issue? Because sometimes, like when you're in like that that creator's own writing, sometimes you just sort of space out and you kind of don't snap out of it until like it's almost near completion. You're looking at it like, where the frig did this come from? No, that's definitely the cherry coke that you ingested, man. Okay, <laughs> that's fair. I've been there before, <laughs> when you wake up like, oh, geez. What's old man Cola putting in this stuff? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, yeah, sometimes it's like, uh, I'm sure you've driven anywhere and you're just like, oh, I don't remember passing by this random place. I got here quicker than I expected. Mm -hmm. Like what they call like the highway hypnosis, I think. Yeah, pretty much when you're just in the zone or whatever. I mean, you know how to drive. You're not sitting there physically thinking, okay, how much pressure I need to put on the gas pedal. You know, or how many degrees do I need to turn the wheel? Have you driven enough where it's just automatic for you? And your brain just wanders and, you know, highway hypnosis is a much better term than just my rambling. That was, no, but that wasn't mine. I think it was from like an episode of like 30 Rock or something like that. Because everything out of okay. my mouth is a pop culture reference, if you haven't figured that out already. Oh, I mean, that's the best genius. I mean, just look at Tarantino, right? Yeah. For years, people are like, all he's just doing is naming things in pop culture. Meanwhile, I'm just sitting here in my head down like, I kind of do that too. I <laughs> don't, don't judge me too harshly. Oh, what was that? That was a uh, family guy making fun of Robot Chicken. He's like, oh no, He-Man, G.I. Joes, those used to be things. <laughs> <laughs> with this story mm-hmm. and with the more dramatic side of it and also stretching that creative muscle you know, something that I've noticed that even the road to getting here has been, you know, a, a decidedly different one than normal. Because you mentioned creative fogs and something I, I know that it, I guess it's kind of a difficult topic to breach, but it was sort of like a rough patch even getting to that point, you know, in your writing process. And I think that's something that I realize I don't talk to enough because even in interviewing people regarding their projects, no one's really going to want to talk about the struggles they've had in when it comes to writing or even like, let's say, like their professional ventures, because that's something that doesn't happen often. And I can understand why creators don't, because Mm -hmm. being that vulnerable can be really tough. But if anything, like at least I've 
appreciated the willingness to discuss that because I think that's the other side that should be talked about more, but it's always tough to find a way to do it. But sometimes knowing that people are struggling creatively, I think at least to me helps because I know I do. I'm never really uh, a negative person. I'm bitter. I'm spiteful, but I'm not really a negative person. You know, <laughs> I, I don't even say you're necessarily bitter. <laughs> no, I won't like point fingers and be like, oh, this person and that person. You know, I, I, I will acknowledge faults and failures. My life is not a, an Instagram shot where everything is filtered to look perfect, you know, and give the illusion of contentment or anything. There's a lot of, you know, stuff I'm not happy with. I mean, I'm going to be 40 and three or so years. Uh, and I still haven't hit a large number of things that I was hoping 10 years ago I would have hit, you know, um, even, even just today, I think I tweeted out saying like, I have, uh, intrusive thoughts talk, you know, that pop in and like, I'm sure everyone does talking about, Oh man, you know, his failures. Uh, I had a, the one comic I was really excited for Kilcello fell apart, unfortunately. And that really set me back mentally in a horrible way. Uh, but you know, that's one thing. And then, um, whenever I start reaching out to editors and they seem interested and then they just never respond back. It's like, you know, Oh, well you can't help, but think, you know, Oh, is it me? Is it something I did? Is it all failure? Is it all meaningless? You know, that sort of thing. Right. But then, you know, you have to have the little reminders around. I mean, I'm a big fan of stunning on people, you know, <laughs> flexing, you know, splashing up on them, but sometimes you need to splash up on yourself you know, and see like, Oh, wow. Here's a shelf full of things that are printed that I have stories in. Not everybody has that. Or people have a couple. I have a shelf. I have a poster from when I signed at Barnes & Noble. You know, that was a really cool experience. And they gave me a bunch of little posters and the full-size ones. Uh, it's a little narcissistic, but it's a good reminder to be like, oh, yes, I got there. My one short film, The Chart, won a bunch of awards in America and in Europe. You know, nice. that's, that doesn't happen for people who that your mind is telling you you're a failure. It's just, it's just not my time. Yeah. You know, some, some things are not meant to be. Some things aren't meant to be, but by the same token, everything of course with me is filtered through music. And I know there's like that whole running joke about like, you know, musicians, you know, people kind of look at them when they listen to their own stuff as if somehow like, <laughs> there, I think it was Donald Glover as one of his stand-up bits. Cause he was talking about that very same thing. And he's like, you know, no one ever does that to someone who works at like a deli or something or like a subway and you know, they're making sandwiches all day, you know, and they come home and all of a sudden making a sandwich. And no one ever says, huh, pretty conceited, are we? (laughs) That's funny. And as much as, you know, things like the imposter syndrome, but, you know, you mentioned a good point is I think it's actually important to recognize the successes because... I think what happens sometimes is, and this is strictly me, like I can't speak for anybody else in this. Okay. When you take a hit creatively and professionally, because, you know, rejection happens to a lot of us. Yeah. When you're putting yourself out there like you have with any of your books and like a lot of creators have done with their books or their music or what have you, you're putting everything out on the table like it's from you. So to basically put that out into the world and then be like, hey, here's this thing. I hope you accept it. And then to someone, you know, to say no for whatever reason, that's a fucking punch in the gut. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I haven't dated in like over 15 years. So I, I would assume it's kind of like that, right? I mean, I've never virtual dated. So I imagine it's like you're on Tinder and you're matching up with someone and they don't match up with you. It's got to be the same vein, right? Or even, uh, have you ever gotten an Uber and they pull up and then they're like, where are you going? And you tell them where they, and then they just drive off. 
I've had that with regular yeah. cabs where I've actually just gotten in and they started driving and I'm like, wait a minute, I never told you where I was going and they don't respond. And I'm like, holy oh, shit, no. I think I'm being kidnapped right now. <laughs> yeah, Liam Neeson's on the phone, man. Just like, you will know, <laughs> save the day. I got you. <laughs> but no, uh, yeah, you know, it's, I mean, any rejection doesn't feel right. I mean, what is it? Like, you have to get a hundred no's before you get a yes. Some sort of weird reverse psychology on there to hype yourself up you know i mean you have the people who make it big at like 14 15 and then you have the people who you see like oh my granddad didn't get published until he was 73 it's like shit i hope to end up somewhere between there right <laughs> <You know? laughs> i want to get my flowers while and not be the actual funeral flowers <laughs> you know? i don't want to be uh Sorry. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> that. That's wow. That's actually I couldn't have put it better. Honestly, <laughs> you know. Um, but I also don't want to be the kid who's like, "Oh man, you hit this thing at twenty, and it's just like, yeah, you live with it." And it's like you're spending your entire because you're not even an adult. You're spending your entire adult life after that trying to recreate that moment, right? You know, trying to trying because people have this expectation of you that you might not ever hit again. There's negatives to everything that people don't see. It's like I always say that. You as a person are living with your own thoughts and you looking outside are seeing the projections of everyone else that they want to show to you. Right. So it's like comparing your demo tape with everyone's greatest hits album. And I see that so much. And I think that's the perfect way to put that. This shouldn't even sound like a, such a radical notion, but, mm-hmm. and this, this may sound a little cliche, but everybody's journey is literally different. There's no one way to do it and even now i'm still astonished that how little of an understanding there is to that degree you can pretty much do everything by the book because how many times have i read this thing and okay here's how you do podcasting here's how you make music but it's like okay that may have worked for five people but the sixth person it might not even register for them they might end up on a completely different path but does that mean that that sixth person is wrong no Sometimes it's not a right fit for you, right? Um, right. I would like for someone at Marvel to acknowledge me and be like, hey, let's give you a story on something. But that's not my dream. <laughs> you know, like I, don't, I don't, like, I don't know if that sounds weird, but like, it's not my dream to be like, oh, man, I have my epic Spider-Man that I'm just dying to tell. And if I don't make it there, my life's a failure. It's like, no, I, I kind of want to tell my own stories and I could use Marvel and DC as a bigger platform to grow a bigger audience to then help me better launch my ideas. Right. And that's valid. And if the person next to you is like, you know what? It's my dream to work for one of the big two and to work on like a Superman or Spider-Man, what have you. Like, honestly, if someone, no one is ever going to do this necessarily, but (laughs) I get that call from Marvel HQ. It's like, we want you to write X-Men after Jonathan Hickman. Of course I'm going to say yes. (laughs) Is it going to be any good? I don't know. (laughs) Nah, you're going to be the... uh the mint before the next guy comes in <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> and that's fine like just give me a new mutant run where everybody's sitting on a couch playing xbox like that'll be my run <laughs> cerebro and danger room come together to make xbox yes. that's just, you know, <laughs> they, they fight digital crime through vision oh man see we're giving away all these great ideas see and i would read that book but i'm i'm the weirdo in that regard so shoot no there already was a guy alpha flight uh that's r- box wasn't that his name Yes, was it Alpha Flight? Yeah, I think so. Damn, never mind. All right, that won't work. There you go. Xbox exists. You know, he's a guy that just goes into a robot. Does he wear it like Iron Man? No, he's different. He becomes a ghost (laughs) and goes through it. Like Kitty Pride? No, different. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. 
you know, but he wears a suit. Yes, but he's not physically in there. No. Yeah, yeah no. Yeah. Okay. So, Marvel, if you're listening, call me. I will marry what I will get this done. <laughs> All he does is fight crime in Canada. He can't go past the border. Right? Like, no. <laughs> no. Can't. And you see the bad guy just driving off with the middle finger out the window. Right? <laughs> Nobody stopping him. Just like, mm. can't. If his passport got revoked or something, just something stupid. Like he came home with some rug and didn't pay the taxes on it. So they're like, oh, no, you're you can't come over here. That was like, you've seen Falcon with the Soldier, right? But yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that show. Okay. So spoilers for anybody who hasn't, but like, it's like the first episode when they're chasing Batroc and they're like, oh, he's about to hit the border. And yes. like, I realized that you never see that in superhero stories. There's never like this, oh, crap. Like, if they cross this into this territory, we can't touch them. <laughs> Jurisdictional, like, intrigue. I guess I didn't realize it was a thing with me. Well, it's one of those things. When you're a vigilante, that's against the law. What's, what's you know, I guess, uh, illegal migration on top of that. <laughs> right? <laughs> you're, out here, you're out here committing, you know, armed assaults and, you know, battery and such on due process. Oh, man. That's why we need, like, a Disney Plus series that's essentially, like, six episodes of, like, board meetings uh, going through the Sokovia Accords. <laughs> I would think that just, just to get into the weeds of it. But make it, like... Uh, what was that really dramatic football movie? Um, draft Day, something like that, where it's like, oh, I didn't know the draft was this was this intense. Yeah, like it's it's kind of screwed up when you think about it. But uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I I don't mind getting out there and just you know talking about my defeats. If anything, I mean, I don't have the craziest Twitter following, but I do have some people that you know every once in a while I get someone that's like, oh yeah, thanks for you know I needed to hear that this time. You know, that feels just as good as when I make a joke and one person laughs. Right. Like that's, that one reaction is what I did this for. And that's my thing. It was less about me wanting to like hear you talk about like the times which you failed. But I think sometimes it's important to acknowledge that sometimes what we see, on, and I have to tell myself this, sometimes what we see online isn't always like the, you know, the full picture of what's going on. Because a lot mm -hmm. of times, you know, when people talk about their accomplishments, which I think is important, but I think sometimes what happens is, at least I know with me, there's this habit where it's like I, I sometimes end up internalizing it, being like, damn, like, where did I go wrong? When it's not that at all. It's, you know, when it's like I want to be happy for other people's successes, but not at the expense where I'm looking at myself as if somehow I messed up. See, I think that's when uh, when you start pointing the internal blame, that's when you really start to get messed up, I feel. You know, because then you're just you're internalizing it. And it, there's a number of external factors. Maybe it's just not the right time. Maybe it's just not the right fit. Maybe someone above was in a bad mood. They got their car keyed and then, you know, they made a, they made an illegal right-hand turn and got flipped off by me, leaving the food in the place. <laughs> and then that ruined their whole mood. And now they're just like, I'll F everything else after. I mean, you never know, honestly. Um, there's this there's this line from Boardwalk Empire with Jip Rossetti, who was a moron, but he said so many great gems. But, you know, and they're just like, don't take it personal. He's like, don't take it personal. I'm a person, aren't I? How else am I supposed to take? <laughs> but still, That's gold. That resonated with me. I'm like, all right, this guy's a moron, but that line right there is good. You've always just danced to the beat of your own drum, so to speak. Obviously, you've had your path, others have theirs. But, you know, when you decide, you know what, I'm going to make this story because I'm inspired by this. And it's just always just come from a genuine place of, you know what, this is what I want to tell this is what I want to say, and this is how I'm going to do it. 
like you really are the Loki. It's like, you know what? You do things your way. And maybe that might necessarily, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, spark a, a little trouble. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's like you tell a story you want to tell. Oh, I mean, I guarantee I rub people the wrong way. Uh, it's not just me being like, oh, people hate New Yorkers because they do. It's just I know like, OK, I, I'm extra. <laughs> and I do the most when I need to. <laughs> and that does, that definitely does turn people off. But at the same time, I don't want to be one of those creators who's only just using every opportunity to try to network and market and don't really have a public personality. You know, it's like, oh, I love everything and tagging 100 people. Nothing's anything wrong with that, but that's not me. You know, I'm not, I'm not just going to start reaching out to everyone to ladder climb, you know, although that is a way to definitely get ahead. Um, you know, I, I will put stupid jokes out there and just say my truths. And, you know, if there's something that has merit, I will reach out and tag someone and congratulate them. I definitely gas up my buddies. I don't bad talk things I don't like. There's this, you know, whole thing of just, you know, if you have, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. I'm a believer in that. Uh, I'd rather spend my time just, you know, either being negative about myself or just talking about things I do like, like Lethal Weapon 2. Yes, still one of my favorite movies, and I know Mel Gibson's a, a, a lot <laughs> trademark, but like yeah. that movie is essentially that in the first one. Like my father owned a soundtrack to the first movie on vinyl. Like that's wow. how far the Lethal Weapon love went in our house. I know we're going off on a rail here. <laughs> Lethal Weapon. I was listening to a podcast. I have a podcast for you. It's the Rewatchables by um, Bill Simmons. You know he's a sports guy, right? The Rewatchables is a movie podcast of older movies that you can watch over and over and over again, but it's done by sports journalists who break it down like a game. Huh. They analyze everything. They analyze the directors and what they've written. Okay, they're coming off this movie doing this, Oscars, whatever, whatever. They're coming off the actors talking about, you know, hey, you know, Mel Gibson was on the rise, Danny Glover, you know, so on and so forth. They talk about favorite lines, favorite scenes. They have something called the Joey Pants Award, which is the <laughs> actor that you know their face and don't know their name at all. Yeah. Like, oh, that guy. <laughs> the 80s was full of those guys because they were all in the same movies. Like, I, I'll yeah. never know his name. He was in Lethal Weapon 2, Licensed to Kill, and I think the first Die Hard. The black dude with, like, the Jerry <laughs> Curl with the mustache. Yeah, he's always he playing cops, right? He's always playing cops. And like <laughs> to this day, I do not know his name. And if somehow he ever listens to this, I'm so sorry, but like I don't know his name. But like in the 80s, if there was an action movie and there was a cop, nine out of ten times it's gonna be him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's this one guy who's in every gangster movie. I don't know his name, but he kind of has like Brillo hair. Yes. <laughs> so it's like clearly dyed super black. I don't know your name at all, but he is always one of the background and featured extra mobsters and everything. <laughs> and not for nothing, we should be so lucky. Like those are the people that I would love to have on a podcast. Like, hey, maybe they weren't necessarily like the, the top build, but you know what? You recognize their name and they're in everything. Yeah. When the movie opens and you have like everyone gets their own solo credits and then you start to get like the six guys lumped in on one card. <laughs> That's oh, one of those guys. That's me. You know, which one? That one right there. <laughs> oh, man. You know, Lethal Weapon 2 they, and Lethal Weapon, the franchise, they feel did Danny Glover dirty because it established in the eyes of Hollywood and the audience that he was too old, even though he was in his early 40s at the time. Yeah. So he wasn't getting the roles he could have gotten, because it's like, oh, he's an old guy. But he wasn't. He's old now. <laughs> you know, people are treating him back then like he is now. 
Which is wild because that's also like put into the plot. Like this guy is going to retire, but I'm like, which is fine. But you know, he wasn't so like, you know, I'm not trying to like sound ageist or anything, but like he wasn't so much older that like he was to how they treat him in those movies. But you know, there is some validity to that. I, I definitely feel that. And bringing it right back to the creators, you have, like I said, a lot of people who are in their forties, um, a lot of my peers and, you know, they feel the burn. They feel maybe some extra, you know, some existential dread of just like, oh, I haven't made it yet here. But then you have some people that are just happy to do anthologies and put their shorts and do Kickstarter stuff and go to conventions and sell their stuff and meet other people. Yeah, you know I mean, not everybody's journey is the same. Uh, you can Danny Glover and say you're too old for this shit and then sit on a toilet bomb. <laughs> or you can... You know, uh, Mel Gibson it and shoot someone's fish tank and then still get rolls after that. <laughs> or or drag an entire house down a cliff. Oh, yeah. I told that I was like, when they did this in Grand Theft Auto 5, I was like, oh, that's awesome, but I've seen this before. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I know when I did that, like, I'm, like, so hyped, my friends. Like, what's so exciting about this? Like, have you not seen? Like, this is, like, pulling the house down was an entire plot point of a major motion picture. Back in like 1988, yeah. 87. So it's like, you know what? That's, uh, I don't know. That's iconic. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. All my life, that traumatized Aaron watching the house come down. Because when are we going to LA? Those are the houses we stay in. Oh, no. That are up there on stilts. <laughs> so she's just like, oh, I was just like, you know, there's no way that truck didn't get messed up from pulling this thing off its foundation. Right? <laughs> You're going to blow a hemi or an axle is going to snap or something. <laughs> that wasn't, that was probably like, what, a Ford if that? Like, the fact that somehow <laughs> that one truck managed to pull this whole house out is like, okay, either that house was structurally unsound to begin with, or... Because <laughs> I just imagine, like, the back wheels just getting completely ripped off. Something, right? I mean... <laughs> I don't know. I'm 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 not a car guy. I, I I could be wrong. Cars can be, you know, making people homeless left and right for all I know. But you know, this, <laughs> this thing just yanks down a home that has. And I I mean I've I've been in L.A. I've driven past those homes. I've stayed in those homes. They're on stilts, yes, but they're burrowed deep into the foundation of the earth. The earthquakes aren't moving this thing. Just looking out the window to see there's some like long haired dude with a baseball cap and a truck at the base of the hill being like, is he going to, I hope no one shows up. Oh man. Anyway, <sighs> I mean, mudslides do happen and then they do cause the houses to fall down from erosion. So maybe he just got lucky and there was just a bad property. Yeah. I, I think that was just luck at that point. Cause I mean, <laughs> You know what that was? That was 100% Hollywood cocaine from back there. Just like, oh, oh man, this is going to happen. And this happens and this happens. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, That's great. Uh, I don't know how much of this is staying in. No, all this is staying This is staying. This part's definitely staying in. Look, I, I've come to realize, going back to episode 103, one of the best things that ever happened in my life was getting the chair pulled under me. Absolutely. I'm just worried about the continuity where someone's like, hold on, I thought we were talking about this. Now we're talking about this. Now we're talking about it again. And then we're back to this. Did we go off on a tangent? Yeah. But you know what? Lethal Weapon was a great movie. And yes, I know Mel sucks, but I, I, you know, that was a big part of my childhood. So I always find any reason to make a reference to it, like between that and like Die Hard. So take, take it where you will. Where do you want to go next in the, in, in the deep and serious parts of this? Music has always been a driving force in everything I did, even if it wasn't... I'm not a musician. I don't have albums out, but music is something that inspires me. 
I'm loving more and more that even like let's say comic creators are being more vocal about their influences outside of just other books. And at least with you, I've noticed that like you have been really, really inspired by the weekend. Yes. <laughs> Very much so. And to the point where like I'll watch your Instagram stories and like see tweets and I'm like, I would have never thought to make these connections to your posts to like the music you pick, even like down to lyrically or just like sonically. And I just thought like that's yeah. in and of itself really cool, which doesn't surprise me because I mean you've worked on Cosmic Love and Broke Pop. So mm -hmm. this is something that you've done, you know, time and time again. But I like that you've kind of taken it to this next level. So I don't know if you want to kind of get into like how that all sort of came about because I just think it's really cool. I mean, I got the weekend late. I remember when he was on uh, Drake's Take Care album. Mm -hmm. I, re I remember that. And I was like, you know, Crew Love, I think, was the name of his line. And I was like, the weekend. It's so funny. Who, who the hell is this? Right? I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, just like, just through random, you know, movies and other albums, you see features here and there, or there's a song on the radio, or even just a snippet on a commercial. You know, uh, The Hills was a big one. Uh, Starboy. You know, things like that. Um, but it wasn't until last year that I started getting more into him with his album After Hours, which is a magnificent album. It's a great album. But he started having this character. And I noticed, I'm like, okay, hold on. You know, the first video he had where it's just like, you know, he had the red jacket, whatever. Oh, Michael Jackson. But then he started noticing and started adding more things to it, right? Okay, now his nose is busted and he's bleeding. Okay, and now it's the same outfit and he has a bandage on. All right, now he has full face bandages. Okay. You know, all right. That seems like what's happening with this character that he's doing. I love concept albums and I love, you know, greater stories and lore. And I felt that what The Weeknd was doing with this character, um, it was intriguing. So I started getting into the music, trying to piece things together. Like, okay, what's this evolution of this character? And then it all led up to um, Save Your Tears. And he had that crazy plastic surgery face. You know? Yeah, to the point where people thought that was real. Like, I remember when yeah. that picture went yeah. like online. People were freaking out, and I'm like, "There's no way he would have gotten that much quick like plastic surgery within like a couple of weeks." Relax, everybody. But it it was startling. Yeah. Like, it was really like it, it kind of had me shook for a little bit. Yeah, this is at the same time. Um, actually, no, uh, I said last year. I apologize because I still don't know. What COVID calendar's gone by both extremely fast and slow at the same time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It was with Uncut Gems, and he was in that. And I was like, oh, The weekend," you know, and he had a big scene in that, and I was like, that, that was awesome, that The weekend was a focal point, and not just like, oh, he's the musical performer, like, no, he's integral to the story. You didn't see that movie, did you? No, not yet. No, that's fine. Uh, You're not man, spoiling not anything. It's okay, because I'm okay. going to enjoy it anyway. It's uh, That movie is a hell of a ride. Sandler should have gotten an Oscar nomination, but anyway... Um, <laughs> If you see all the movies that you see that I like and then you watch this movie, you'll be like, yeah, all right, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I like bad, irredeemable characters, and he definitely plays one. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, The Weeknd's music, like, lyrically is also uh, after hours more so than his older stuff, like on the trilogy albums. It's definitely talking about regrets and not quite shame, but like guilt and coping with things. Um, one song, Faith. I love that song. He talks about, you know, he he told everyone he would be a better man, but he lied to himself and to everyone else as well. I mean, how many times have, you know, has any of us, you know, promised that we wouldn't do something or, you know, we would stop doing something or whatever. And in, in, in the moment you mean it, but, you know, uh, it could be anything from 
horrible things to even just giving up smoking where you're like, this is, this is it, this last one, or I'm going to start my diet right now. <laughs> you know? And then next thing you know, it's just like, oh man, it costs a hundred dollars to get three days worth of a juice cleanse, but McDonald's is at cheeseburgers for a dollar 25, you know, um, various shades but it all comes from the same place of human nature where you know in in the moment you've eaten this but as you know as your mind goes on and you let your guard down you know the bad habits can creep back in and they often go with negative consequences you know whether it be substance abuse or gambling addictions or any other vices you know that you set up to cope with for whatever you're going through at the time right and it also begs the question like can people truly change their nature? Mm-hmm. Which is a concept I always like in stories. You know, when you talk about irredeemable characters, there's sort of a fascination, not in a, I like this character. That's the point. You still don't like them, but you sometimes like a, at least appreciate whoever created this character going on a journey where their redemption arc is that they have none. Because I think mm-hmm. sometimes what happens, and I don't mean to derail from what you're talking about with the weekend, but... You know, sometimes I think we like to have these stories where if there's a bad person, they become good or they become redeemed or they somehow become the hero. But they could still have the arc of a protagonist, but still technically be the villain or be irredeemable. You know, so it happens a lot. And I'm always a fan of when those stories take place, because I I think it just shows things in a more complicated light because not everything's so black and white. I forgot where I saw this, but it said that not everybody's evil 100% of the time. They said that Hitler was a vegetarian and he loved dogs, but he's still Hitler. Yeah. Like, so, I, mean, gonna... <laughs> <laughs> I think that was a that was like the most extreme example someone could give in the moment. But um, I do believe people can change. I mean, it might not be 100% change. It might rhyme with what they were doing. But, you know, uh, it's one of those things I, 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 I don't want to be held to the beliefs of me when i was you know 14 15 watching ecw the original ecw you know oh wow yeah because that that was a decidedly different era yeah like you know i i can't watch those wrestling matches now or i do and i'm just thinking like oh man his health insurance premium's gonna go way up (laughs) i mean so people do change right um i think it's all theory of relativity in terms of just how this thing relates to you you have people who are horrible women and then they have daughters and they're just like oh i don't want this behavior coming back on my family you know that like like that sort of thing right um then you have of course people that just go the opposite way and double down and become even worse so Mm. it's not 100 that's fine but so the long and short of it is i i i do think people can change but it's not until it's something that they can find that relates to them yeah that's actually a really good way to put it and I think that's why I always like that album because, you know, and while I may not necessarily have the same like encyclopedic knowledge of the weekend as you do, but oh no, I'm, I'm a novice, man. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> but like even the, like the album art for, uh, let's say for after hours, yeah. there's something very, just, there was something striking about it. Like, you know, here's yeah. this dude whose face is bashed in a shape and he's got like this shitty and grin on his face. And it's like, that is such a, like, perfect image and i don't even know like when i first saw like the album art i didn't i hadn't even heard like a note of music and i'm like okay this, mm. this is going to be something special on this it reminds me of the final scene in the joker when he gets pulled out of the cop car and he's standing up and this guy has just been broken down by life and all these people and this chaos around him and you see the people just cheering and he just 
wipes that blood and makes a smile. It reminds me of that more than anything. I, I always just like art and especially music that is a little conceptual because even if you're not necessarily telling a linear story, these songs mm-hmm. or any songs really are still telling one. It's just a matter of how far does the artist intend to have the listener go? No, I mean, uh, After Hours isn't as much of a concept album as Trilogy. Those three mixtapes came out in 2010. Uh, I believe the first one is House of Balloons and then Thursday, which is my favorite one, and then Echoes of Silence. You know, those are definitely more of a concept where it's straightforward and it's telling a narrative. One is The weekend, one is Valerie, and I think the other one is just his fans that he personifies as uh, Dirty Dianas covering the Michael Jackson song. <laughs> um, After Hours is more mature. It's the same as, you know, when you have a young man who's peacocking, you know, mm-hmm. and he doesn't, you know, he, you know, he'll, like I say many times, he'll stunt, he'll do whatever, you know, especially in front of his boys, you know, amp up and stuff, get attention. And then later on, you know, after that stuff wears down and it's just you, you have to live with some of the consequences of what you did, or you have regrets that you push people away, you didn't mean to push away, or your actions pushed them away. You might not have been ready for them in the moment, but you know, now that that that's no longer an option or you've, you know, uh, gotten to the point where you'd see the dangers of them not being there anymore, then you have that regret. That's what after hours feels like to me. There's one line in there. He says, uh, I've been sober for a year and now it's time to me to go back to the ways. Don't you cry for me? And I was just like, oh, shit. Yeah. Because <laughs> a lot of times it, those, those songs will go like, oh, you know, I'm changed. I'm changed. You know, take me back, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's like, no, there, there's something very, <laughs> uh, you know, very clear about deciding, you know what? I'm actually just going to just go back to doing what I was doing. That's sad. It is. It's a really dark ending. Like, if that's even, like, let's say, like, the last part of that. But it almost feels like it is. Because at that point, he's already making, like, a clear decision to give up on ever reforming. Did you ever finish Mad Men? Okay. Confession. And whoever's listening will probably, at this point, will stop. I have not finished that show. I'm so sorry. Okay. That's fine. How far did you get? Honestly, like, four episodes. Okay. Never mind. Well, I'll No, tell me anyway. It's okay. By all means. Yeah. There's this character arc where Don, of course, starts off. He's the whole series. He's womanizing and everything, right? right. Uh, he loses his wife, opens up. Uh, you're only four episodes in, so you don't know that he's not really Don Draper, do you? Not really, but I don't want you to like stop telling the story because no, now, like, now, I'm, now I'm tuned in. That's the real hook. He's not really Don Draper. Don Draper died in Korea, and he, t- he switched out his dog tag. Did they really pull a Principal Skinner on this? <laughs> they did. What? Uh, that show gets deep. That show gets insane sometimes. You're like, what? Especially when his younger brother finds him by mistake and he's just like, I'm not this person. I don't know who you're talking about. And then his younger brother kills himself because of being rejected by this man. He's like, come on, I'm your family. That's, yeah, man, Mad Men goes there. (laughs) So wait, was it a matter of like no one knew or did everybody, like that's the part that I'm intrigued on. Like, so. All right. Some people knew uh, when he got drunk and blacked out. You know, I remember this one lady who, he went to bed with he woke up as a different lady and then she was like oh come back to bed dick because his name is dick whitman and he kind of looked at her like what the fuck but wow. yeah uh the entire thing hung over his head right up until the very end of the series but uh yeah uh so he's going through all that you know he loses his wife his family he's living in some crappy apartment in lower east side uh then he meets you know his his, his new secretary he falls in love with her and marries her 
they work together. You know, she works with him at the ad agency. So it's pretty much like I wake up with you. I go to work with you. I go home with you. We have perfect. Right. Right. But then when she wants to, cause she's, she was, she's an actress. She wants to be an actress. She wants to go do her own thing. And he fears losing that. It's, it, it's one of those things that he's not directly controlling. You can tell that, you know, this is a control for him to keep him on the straight path. But of course, once like the second she goes off and does this thing, he goes back to his old ways. So it's one of those things, like you said, that people can't really change on a base level. They can, but in fiction, it's always easier to write someone who, you know, who doesn't. And that is very much reminiscent of what the, the feeling I got from After Hours was. Man, I did not realize that that was like the whole thing of the show. Like, holy crap. <laughs> and that's not even all the characters. You get into all sorts of stuff. <laughs> give it a chance if you have if you have a good 100 hours give it a chance <laughs> trust me like i probably there's a lot of shows like i'm cartoonishly bad with tv like even yeah. like the watch the marvel shows even though they're only like six episodes feels like a lot like movies like i'll watch you know like i the the joke i always tell is i can watch you know lord of rings extended editions back to back all day oh, no, no problem four hour movies cool <laughs> Four-hour movies, no problem. That was like when Endgame came out, and they're like, oh, this movie's going to be, you know, three and a half hours, whatever. It was like, all right, cool, I'm in. I'm invested. Tell me to watch, like, a 40-minute TV show that's got, like, five episodes, and suddenly, like, you would think you had asked me to, like, run a marathon, like, in the desert. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> no, I mean, like I said, it, I, I, I think it's all just relatability at this point, right? It's what is the hook that can get you into it that you can say, yeah, I can... I can dedicate a good chunk of my day to watch this. You know, once upon a time, I wouldn't have even really listened to something like The Weeknd, but mm. as someone who tends to do, like, a lot of either writing or, you know, just kind of cruising around at night, like, it was sort of like the perfect soundtrack for a lot of ways. Listen to um, the Trilogy album. It's tracks, I want to say, 21 through 30, because they're broken up in 10-track increments, right? Right. Well, listen to that one. It starts off with DD, which is the Michael Jackson cover of Dirty Diana. I think you'll enjoy the experimental storytelling he's doing with that it's 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 a lot of talking about drugs and partying and there's even this one song that feels like an acid trip because they're messing with the vocals so it's slowing it down and then speeding it back up and it's slowing it down. you know like it's just it, it feels like the ups and downs of being you know messed up because i just think stuff like that is just really cool like just finding new ways to tell a story because you know like there's but so many stories one can tell but doing things like that i think for the sake of immersion are are really cool you know, I've been listening to a lot of different um, industry podcasts, and I was listening to Todd McFarlane talking about Marvel in the 90s and uh, how whatever books the image guys were on, right, before they started to blow up, they were allowed to just experiment and do whatever they wanted. But once it got to a certain level, that's when then the money people started getting involved. They're like, oh, no, you know, this is this. So we have to get involved with editorial more and kind of help push to keep sales afloat, right? <laughs> And then I hear the same thing with WWE where they have web shows, you know, and they just, you know, the superstars or whoever back there and, you know, they just mess around to help forward their story. It's not on the main show. It's only online or on the network. And then, you know, if there's one thing that takes off, it goes viral and it starts getting more attention to those web shows. Then the money people get involved. And they're like, all right, you know, we have attention for this. We need to send in the writers to do whatever, you know? So if it's one of those things that, more mainstream albums have so many bean counters that they can't quite get away with certain things. Whereas, you know, uh, someone who's coming up can, you know, have some sort of like hotness and heat behind them because they have their unfiltered creativity going through it. Imagine 
how much further creativity would go if the creator, to a certain extent, was left the hell alone. Yeah. <laughs> See, there's a fine line because sometimes having no leash on you can just lead to chaos, right? But then, you know, if, if you have too short of a leash, then you'll feel stifled. I mean, there's one comic publisher that I very much enjoy and I like the editor in chief, but they don't take traditional pitches where, like, I, you and I will grab an artist and a colorist and the letterer and then we'll put together a story and send it to them and they say yes or no, right? No, they don't want that. They want a nugget of a story and then they build everything around that. They say, okay, how can we build in this story? What artist works best with this story? They do take a lot of more hands-on approach, which is, you know, it takes a lot off of the initial creator's plate. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you got to wonder if the people who aren't necessarily just hoping to get something published, if they'll be like, do they not want to open their mouths in fear of biting the hand that feeds them? You know, and saying like, this might not work for me. I like this idea better. But then you have other publishers that they just want a completed book. It's like, well, why are you going to take a cut of the sales if you're not even going to have any involvement or anything? You're just middleman. Right. <laughs> you know, and so they want you to submit stuff, but they want it to be complete. It's like, I'd rather not deal with that because it's, it's, it's not just a cold yes or no. It, it can be yes with notes, right? Okay, what can we do to make this into a yes? I mean, each publisher has their own way of doing things, but you can't have one that's just complete freedom and then just give them a finished product and then hopefully they say yes. But also, you know, you don't want to potentially keep your, you know, your mouth closed on an idea you might not like because you don't want to upset the apple cart. For an old-timey phrase. <laughs> and the thing is, I understood the reference, so, I mean, so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, that, that is very true, and I guess that's the nature of why the creative process can be difficult, because so much can change. You know, one decision could either make or break something, so mm-hmm. I, I definitely can understand why that's a little bit difficult, which is why, like, I know it's not like a broken record, but anybody who does this, you know, that's it's tough because there's there's so much that goes into it. And, you know, to kind of circle back what we were saying before, it can kind of play tricks on you a little bit. So, you know, the fact that people have published work at all or just even at least even like a even if it's not published, even if they just have a full completed work that they could sit and say, I made this. Like people should be proud of the stuff that they make because not everybody gets that shot. So, you know, and I, I'm not I don't mean that to sound like a, you know, suck it up kind of way, but. I, don't, I, I just think it's just really cool that people can get together, make stuff, because I've been telling myself, hey, I'm going to, you know, work on a script and sell this and I'll be off to film school I go. And that was close to 20 years ago. And it didn't happen. Then podcasting happened. It's the artistic temperament, isn't it? You have to let that creativity out somewhere. Otherwise, uh, you know, you'll always wonder what if you might have some resentment. Al Bundy scored four touchdowns in a single game, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And then what happened after that? You know, he he holds on to that. Um, I could have went pro if it wasn't for Peggy and the kids, right? Oh, I I could not say anything close to that. Eileen would kill me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I've gotten into fights like that here, you know? Um, A marriage is a two-way street, and both people come in with their hopes and dreams, and it's always conflict and compromise, you know? I mean... You know, now that, you know, I'm closer to 40 than I was at the start of the relationship, I look back and I'm just like, ah, you know, if only I've spent less time focusing on this and more time doing this, I would still be in the same place I am now. But I would have X, Y, Z, 
you don't know that in the moment, right? It, it's all just keeping an eye on the prize. But this is advice I have to any younger creators out there, even older ones, because life's long. Man. Uh, uh, you always see the most miserable creators, the ones who are always lonely because you know they've sacrificed everything now that they're at the top and they're getting praised they're you know who do they have around them really mm-hmm. other creators who are in the same thing it's like uh in kong skull island i, I don't know john c Riley or the japanese soldier's name but you know they, they were all they had for the longest time after being at odds at odds for so long and i think that's why it's important to build lasting connections and not, like I said, just for marketing purposes or, mm. you know, just having a Rolodex, but actually meeting, like, people. Like, you know, everybody I see on my feed, you know, I look at as a creator in some capacity. Or maybe they're just a fan. But as far as the people making this stuff, I think there's more in common than not. And I don't mean to sound all like, you know, let's all, you know, hug each other because not everybody needs to be best friends. But at least understand that everybody you know, should at least respect each other on a very base level. If nothing else, and especially after the, the year that we have had or the year that we're, we're still in, yeah. there's, let's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. not sugarcoat it, this shit ain't over. Um, But like, maybe it's time to let some of the dumb shit go. Ah, see, it's so much easier to say that than it is to live that. Oh yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I just figured if I say it enough, maybe it'll work. <laughs> Like, I hold on to grudges from my uh, my stepmom. I'm never going to let that go. Even everyone else is, I, I will be like, oh, man, you got to forget the people in your life. I will not do that myself. You know? Oh, well, I guess in this context, like, as far as some of the infighting I see, stuff personally, I mean, trust me, I, I can hold a grudge, so I'm not even going to sit there and, like, as much as I said it to everybody else, I say it to myself. But even in this capacity, like, if you can at least see less of each other as competition... I feel like maybe we can get along just a little bit better. See, and that's where I got the weekend. The weekend gasses me up. You know, it's Starboy, that one song. <laughs> like it's, uh, you know, uh, I'm just going to curse a little bit. It goes, main bitch out of your league. Side bitch out of your league. <laughs> 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 like, oh, man, that, hypes, that gets the uh, that gets the ego boosting. But no, uh, people who will give you congratulations and sometimes you know for successes sometimes you don't know if it's congratulations in a negative way because that's something they wanted or if it's you know like your boys you know like oh man that's awesome type of thing right you know what i mean like there there is such a thing as spike congratulations which is such a bummer <laughs> it's like when the one boxing champion wins the belt and then the next rival is up like hey man congratulations like oh that's the guy that's gunning for the belt next yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but mario i do appreciate chatting with you as always like we probably should you know make sure we hype up the the kickstarter one more time uh before we head out um fogline that is june 7th if i'm mistaken yeah it is um you can find that on my social media if you go to twitter it's the other mario c and if you go to my instagram i have one of those link tree things and you'll find that my instagram profile is another mario c and it's Fogline. Or you can search it on Kickstarter, Fogline, and sign up. Uh, we do have a healthy number of uh, you know people who've signed up so far. I want to hopefully grow this out. Uh, it's not it's not a huge book. It's going to be a short comic, but uh, the story behind it is unique. I've been told <laughs> by everyone who's involved. So you know the team and I are excited to you know get this story out into the world. 
Perfect. And thank you. And thank you all for listening. Um, and this episode of Adrian Has Issues can be found on adriansissues.com, where you can download and stream all of our episodes. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you can listen to find podcasts. And that'll do it for this episode of Adrian Has Issues. And we will see you next issue.